1: Welcome to the show, Ivy Nation Sports Talk, off and rolling. Another day goes by, Notre Dame remains independent, you know, in the college football world. I guess it's, you know, largely in tech. Glad to have you with us here today. We're starting to show off a little differently today. Jesse's going to be here in a little bit for some predominantly rapid-fire topics, including a couple would-you-rather Notre Dame questions. you want to hear them, I think, coming up. They'll twist your brain Just a little bit. But we've got Ryan with us today. Ryan Roberts, of course, our recruiting guy. I'm sure more people are probably familiar with you than they are with me. You know, you've been here for a while now. I'm just going into my fifth week of doing this show. But we were just talking before we started things off when I was doing my radio show. You had just kind of you'd been on for what, maybe four or five weeks or something like that. You know, at the most, probably. We were just starting to get into a little bit of groove and then. Things kind of change, but this is the first time that you and I have actually done anything together here. So we're face-to-face. Glad to have you for the first time here.
2: I appreciate it, Sean. I think it it was just meant to be, man, that we were supposed to go on the the same team at some point, you know? So it's an easy transition, yep.
1: That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Uh, I I see we've got um, some recruiting questions starting to pop up. I'll keep an eye and, you know, see if maybe we can throw some stuff in. But again, we'll be kind of going... Uh, double barrel uh, with with Ryan to start things off, and then Jesse will be in. Again, we've got you know plenty of Notre Dame football topics in our rapid fire and uh, some NFL. We've actually got our way too early Super Bowl picks. Seven months from today is the Super Bowl. So I like to do, you know, since it's like the middle of July, I like to do the seven month out way too early Super Bowl picks. So we've got ours uh, coming up in rapid fire in a little bit. So we've got that. Uh, An insanely busy, you know, last couple of months. Oh, I guess before we get started on the recruiting, I've got to do the official, you know, reminder, uh, like us on YouTube, subscribe to us on YouTube. Be sure you do that because it helps us out quite a bit. Just hit that like button. Plenty of people are, uh, you know, getting into the habit of doing that. And it really helps us out, Help helps publicize the show. And on the podcast platforms, be sure to follow, you know, and and uh, comment and rate and all that good stuff as well. I was just starting to say though, Ryan, it's been an insanely busy last month or so, you know, in terms of recruiting. It's one of the busier June, Julys I can really remember in a long time. Have, have you even had time to to catch your breath, you know, with all that's been going on here recently?
2: Well, it, it was a good little break. I went to Myrtle Beach last week for the week. So I was a little, I was still doing some stuff, but I was untapped a little bit after we had those, five commitments in six days it was pretty wild man and then luckily I missed the uh the Dante Moore fiasco when he committed to Oregon I know that was a hot topic last week so it's, it's been wild yeah. though man I I, when I was talking to Brian the other day like I thought you know and beginning of July into like the middle of July I thought there would be kind of like a little bit of a lull you know like I didn't think that there would I thought I was gonna have to get a lot more creative with the content but it's not slowing down it's a different time obviously with transfer portal and NIL and Marcus Freeman obviously doing his thing at top of the, at top of the program. So it's, it, it it's keeping me busy to say the least, but it was nice to get away for a couple of days.
1: Yep, for sure. And it sounds like uh, you and, and Brian covered a lot of the quarterback stuff in terms of recruiting earlier today. Maybe we can touch on that here in a little bit, but we don't have to go. I, 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 I kind of came up with some more, you know, maybe macro type questions, you know, through my head today some of them came up in, on our show yesterday but one thing that's coming up here in a couple of weeks is the big recruiting barbecue which is you know it sounds like it's starting to become an annual tradition for notre dame the summer recruiting barbecue what what maybe are you expecting there when that pops up a couple of weeks from now
2: yes it's set for the july 26th which is a little weird because i believe that is a tuesday if i remember correctly it would be Tuesday because today's the 12th right so it would be two weeks exactly from today and it's a really cool event Sean it's tailored a lot more to the 2024 kids so the kids that are going into their junior seasons of, of high school football so 2023 there will be a couple kids that will be on campus uncommitted kids but for the most part they're really trying to kind of center everything around 2024 so you should expect and if you're on the premium message board, if you're not, you can go to uh, boards.irishbreakdown.com. You can check out, we have a running list of the visitors that we are expecting to be at the barbecue. I'll give a little like teaser, like all five commits currently in the class, including CJ Carr, expected to be on campus. you got guys like Peter Jones, who's a top-rated offensive lineman in 2024. Justin Scott, who's out of Chicago, big defensive tackle, 6'5", uh, 310 pounds. And we have a few more guys as we continue to verify people coming on campus obviously it's 2 weeks from now again so there's going to be kind of names trickling in on that list but you can keep up to right. date with everything that's happening there and it's just a really nice i think it's a really nice event obviously for meshing of you know committed and uncommitted players in 2024 but it's also <clears throat> i think a, a nice little kind of preview of what to expect for 2024 2023's been great already five commitments in 2024 I think Notre Dame has a really good opportunity to have back-to-back top three classes, and you're gonna kind of see some of the names in 2024 that you need to know.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast
3: Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.
1: Now, it's interesting you said top three because I saw today, I think it's roughly 42% of the top targets in this 2023 cycle are still out there. You know, like 42%, maybe the top 100 or something like that. So you know Notre Dame has been sitting at number 1 for a long time and they've kind of fluctuated in the, you know even in the last few days it's like Ohio State gets a commit Notre Dame gets a commit they've been going back and forth a little bit so all that said what you know what do you think they have a chance to to end up number 1 or is is two or three maybe you know kind of more realistic for them you know in the long run by the time December rolls around
2: Yeah, I think somewhere two to four-ish, two to five-ish is probably a more realistic opportunity. I mean, when we were kind of predicting, because I do think at one point Notre Dame had a really good chance of getting the number one class. And I wouldn't still discount it depending on how kind of other teams' boards end up shaking out. But, I mean, not having Dante Moore in the class was obviously a a big blow for Notre Dame, right? Like, he's a top ten player in the class, five-star recruit. Jason Moore just opted for Ohio State, the great defensive lineman out of DeMatha Catholic in Maryland. So there's been a couple hits to Notre Dame recruiting where it's getting a little tougher to project to number one. I don't think it's impossible, but I just think that right now it's more than likely we're looking at a top three to five class, which, I mean, Notre Dame's going to pull in a great class. It's just when you don't have the five-star quarterback to kind of buoy it, sometimes it's a little tough to finish number one, but I think Notre Dame still has an opportunity to be in the conversation until the end at least.
1: Yeah, for sure. All right. I think some people might end up being disappointed with that after writing it number one for so long. But, you know, it's like these they for a long time obviously had more commits than a lot of other schools. So I think, you know, that kind of weighted that number one. But, you know, even to be right in there, you know, one, one, three, four, whatever it happens to be. I think that's still going to be really good. This is going to be a really good class, regardless of what the ranking ends up being.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. It's it's a, this is a, and I know Brian kind of coins this thing, but right. So gap closing, but I think this is yeah. a gap closing class. I mean, when you're talking about the four defensive linemen that they have committed in the class, including Keon Keeley and Devin Houston and Brennan Vernon and, and that talented group, Bukhar Triori, And then you talk about the five offensive line class, the wide receiver group that had the potential to pull out the, this defensive back group. It's a really great class, man. And I think that they have, despite Dante Moore going to Oregon, I think they have a chance to still pull in a really talented quarterback, which I know we're going to kind of briefly talk about a little bit, but it's it's a gap-closing class and it is a great debut I think for coach Freeman and his staff to say the least. Well,
1: let me ask you about you know you mentioned CJ Carr and there, you know there's all of, yeah, obviously everyone's or at least a lot of people disappointed that Dante Moore ended up at Oregon, but you know as disappointing as that is, I was thinking about this like if you're Michigan And you, you know, like you get these two guys, Moore and Carr, slip right out of your backyard. One of them's going to Notre Dame, the other's going to Oregon. Like if you're Jim Harbaugh in Michigan, having these guys walk right out of your backyard, you've got to be feeling even worse, I think, right now, don't you?
2: Yeah, I I posted a little video. I went on a podcast the other day. It was an Ohio State-based podcast, and we (laughs) talked a little bit about that because the one thing that you have in common with Ohio State fans is you both don't like Michigan, right? I mean, you both dislike Michigan heavily. And I, I think my phrase on there was, it's a good time to be a Michigan hater. Like, if you do not like the University of Michigan, it's, it's not great right now, Sean. Like, it's not. I mean, missing Dante on Dante Moore, there were other factors there. And I can't really talk too much about it because Notre Dame also technically missed on Dante Moore, right? But yeah. the fact that they missed out on Lloyd Carr's grandson, like, that is a big thing, man. Like, I mean, talk about having the inside track on a kid. And it was never even in the conversation. I mean, he liked Michigan, but... He was always Notre Dame. Like Don, C.J. Carr had liked Notre Dame for several months before he had made his commitment. I mean, he thought about committing earlier in the year. Um, so it, it's it's something where it's kind of been that way in a, for a while. And I mean, it's it I I, I would like Michigan because I do not like them, but I would like them to be a relevant football team. Like I want them to be a good program. I don't want them to be a great program just because of my distaste for them. But I want good. I want good programs that have stay power to be good. I mean, I think that makes college football just a better product. But unfortunately, Coach Harbaugh flirting with the NFL openly and doing all that type of stuff because I mean they're just in the playoffs and they have zero recruiting momentum right now. And I think it's kind of symbolized by the fact that you had two five star recruits in 2023 and 2024 in Michigan, in your backyard, and you weren't able to close on either one of them. And one is a legacy to your, to your school as well. So it's, it's not great for the University of Michigan right now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But so they just offered the Nova side. Is that how you say it? Nova side? from the kid from Texas. So I'm, I'm. give us some of your thoughts on him.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So just offered Austin Nova said yesterday. So he is out of the state of Texas. He has a pretty good relationship with Braylon James, who is committed to Notre Dame right now, the wide receiver. And then he's also has a good relationship with Jaden Greathouse, who Notre Dame may be, may be, getting a commitment from on Friday. They play on the same, uh, uh, seven on seven team. So they have a pretty good relationship. He's a guy Sean, by all indications. And we just had, um, John Garcia on, on earlier on the show, who was at the Elite Eleven, and and Austin had a great showing there, you know. And he's he's a four star player, and he committed to Baylor right now. But we think that he's his ranking, and I think two four seven even said like, yeah, his ranking's getting bumped right now. Like he's done a great job, and recently Ohio State's getting in the fold, Texas A and M's getting in the fold. He's a player that he's not making it known per se that he's a flippable player, but like you, you can kind of read the tea leaves, and because he committed to Baylor very early, and now he's getting some major high-end power five offers right so Notre Dame's getting in the conversation there and I mean he's a I compare him to Jared Goff on the show earlier from a stylistic perspective like he's not the fleetest of the foot but he's just a really nice processor gets the ball out quickly has a pretty strong arm it's it there, I think he's a really good football player he's just a good player is he Dante Moore no not in my opinion. But he is a good player and he is out of the state of Texas, which I think, again, if you're creating a pipeline to Texas where you could have four guys in the class if Jaden Greathouse commits on Friday and then potentially a fifth with Austin Novosad, then I think you're in a pretty good spot overall. Yep, for sure. So,
1: you know, they've got Tyler Buckner, they've got Angeli, obviously, in this incoming class. We got to see a little bit of him in the spring. They've got Carr coming in 2024. So the importance... You know, how important is it for them to get another quarterback in this cycle, in this incoming 2023 20, cycle, do you think?
2: Well, I think that you always want to bring in a quarterback every cycle. And okay. you're looking at it and like Drew Pine is set to graduate after this next year. And is he a player that if Tyler Buckner wins the starting spot and he is doing a great job, is he a guy that wants to just sit behind Tyler Buckner for the foreseeable future, does he want to take the next step and maybe transfer out and we don't necessarily think that he is but it's just there's an assurance that needs to be kind of taken into account right like we need to replenish this depth chart because after 2023 in that sense if let's say a drew pine transfers the year down two to two scholarship quarterbacks and you know walk on ron Paulus the third like you need to make sure that you have that assurance in the quarterback room. So taking taking one in 2023, I think, is a must. And I do think that they are going to. People keep asking about it, Sean, but, like, I looked up, and the last 20 cycles, including 2022, Notre Dame has not taken a quarterback in a cycle one single time in 20 years. So, like, you always want a quarterback in the class. That's a very abnormal thing to happen. So I think, ultimately, they do end up with a 2023 quarterback, and then that'll be a nice bridge to – you know, obviously, CJ Carr already in the 2024 class.
1: There, you know, there's been the talk about Carr reclassifying. Do you think there's any chance that
2: that actually happens? It's been something that's been talked about. I, I think that I don't think CJ necessarily wants to do it. I don't think people on his side definitely want to do it. Honestly, it's it's something where he's a really impressive player from a. From a mental perspective, so I think he could make the jump, and I actually think he's a little older for his class. I think he's already 17, so he's a player that I think could potentially make it happen. But I, I, I'm i not—I'm just not a big—I'm not a big advocate of, of reclassifying at, 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 to, in general, to be honest, whether what position you play. Right. I mean, we talked about earlier on the show. I mean, I can think of plenty of cases where I, it, it hasn't worked out really. I mean, Quinn Ewers—we'll see what he is at Texas. He reclassified. J.T. Daniels has not really had that step you know he's, he's kind of been in and out of the lineup with injuries over the last couple of years and now he's at the uh, University of West Virginia we'll see what happens there but then I think even think like Tony Grimes who was a you know five-star cornerback that went to North Carolina a year early and he's been a good to solid player but I don't think it's helped his development kind of taking that reclassification so I, I think that I think that for me in my opinion and I don't know if it's going to happen. I, I don't think it actually is, but I think that stick for 2024 is probably the best for CJ Carr.
1: Okay. We had this question pop up in, uh, in the YouTube chat. Can Steve jelly this is from Irish Shytown. Can jelly be a solid backup for Tyler? Do you think?
2: Yeah, I think so. I I, I, I will say this. I did not have many expectations for Steve, but then I saw him during the spring practice, the availability we had and, I thought he looked good. I mean, like he's a smooth kid, doesn't seem to get rattled much, pretty accurate. So, yeah, I I think he could definitely be a backup. There's no doubt. I think the question about Steve is what is the ceiling for him? Because I think he does have a relatively high floor. So if you told me that, you know, if Drew Pine leaves and next year you're Tyler Buckner, Steve Angeli, and then an incoming freshman in the Ron Palace, and you told me that Steve Angeli's his backup, I'd be fine with it. I mean, I think he has capabilities to be a good, a very good backup. I I don't think for saying um, I think it's easy for that kind of transition.
1: Okay. So a couple questions that kind of popped up during the show that we were, Mm -hmm. you know, when Vince and I were doing yesterday. And of course, we don't do recruiting like you do recruiting. So you're you're our expert. You're the guy to ask. So with all the conference talk and the realignment stuff going on the past couple of weeks. Have you had any indication from recruits that it's had any impact on their decisions about, you know, whether or not they'll commit, you know, those kind of things, any, any hesitations at all, just, you know, with things sort of being up in the air with not just Notre Dame, but obviously with other schools as well.
2: Yeah. Now it's, it's a fascinating question. I would say I haven't personally heard anything. I know we've talked a lot about, especially when Dante was getting ready to commit to Oregon you know, oh, this conference realignment and maybe Oregon being on the outside looking in, does that affect his decision? I think it will for some players. Like, I absolutely do. I think some recruits will be very hesitant because they'll be like, you know, I don't know what the long-term future and long-term outlook of the program is from a conference realignment perspective. But I also think that we don't 100% know what the conference realignment is going to look like, right? Like, we're still kind of, we think it's going to be two super conferences, but what what if it changes? I, I just think there's too much of an unknown right now where I don't think it's going to affect as much right now. Some kids, I think it'll sway maybe back and forth a little bit, but I think it's more when we have more of a concrete understanding of what the conference realignment is a hundred percent going to look like, then that's where I think it'll start to kind of alter decision-making, if that makes sense.
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, that does, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Another one then that came up, let's say this, I was real, I I was kind of intrigued by this. I, I have my opinion about it, I'll see what you have to say. Let's say Notre Dame loses a lopsided game to Ohio again. This came up. This was a question we were asked specifically yesterday. Mm-hmm. So, let's say Notre Dame loses lopsided game to Ohio State, and then they lose two to three more games. You know, so they're nine and three, eight and four, which again I don't think is going to happen. But Correct. do you think they lose any commits as a result of that kind
2: of scenario? It's. I... <sighs> I don't think so. I think if anything, if there are players that Notre Dame is going into the season kind of playing the long game with that are more fall commits and you get off to a slow start, maybe you don't have a good showing at all against Ohio State. I think it could halt recruiting, you know, and I I think that it can maybe make the battle for some players down the stretch more difficult because I know there are for a fact some players, not even just in Notre Dame's case, but this just in the case of new coaching changes in general there are some players that want to see the on-field product, and rightfully so, right? Like you want to see what the coaches are doing, what position you're going to be playing, kind of the, the long-term outlook for a spot, right? So I think that there is going to be a lot of eyes, especially on that first game in the horseshoe. I think a lot of people have expectations that they want to see from that from that um, side of things, Sean. Like they want to see what it looks like tangibly mm-hmm. from a Marcus Freeman coach team but I don't think that it's going to alter the kids that are on the table right now, because I, I do think that, I mean, decommitments happen once in a blue moon. So I'm not going to say it's a definite that it will hundred percent not happen, but I think for the most part, these players took the plunge without knowing what the on field is going to a hundred percent look like they are there because they know because they believe in, in coach Freeman. They believe in what Notre Dame can provide for them. They believe in the long-term outlook, the four for 40, all those good things. So I think it's more for the uncommitted players and the future classes more than anything. I think the 19 recruits that Notre Dame has, 19 commitments, I should say, in the 2023 class, I don't think it's going to hinge a lot on that Ohio State show. And I think it's more from an outside perspective.
1: Yep, I agree. I agree with that. You know, one of the other recruiting philosophies Brian Kelly had was they were only going to take commitments from guys who, you know, weren't going to change their minds later on, you know, that kind of thing and end up decommitting it's like if you're gonna commit you're gonna commit so that we're not you know looking around and you know we get these late decommitments and stuff like that are you seeing anything different you know with with marcus freeman running things now you know any different philosophy along those
2: lines yeah i mean we talk about this a lot i think i think marcus freeman has really widened the scope for what a notre dame fit could be right like there's i think there's been in previous staffs where they hone in on catholic schools in this part of the part of the world uh part of the country right like this is kind of their these are the, this is what a typical notre dame player comes from this is where it's, this is what a typical notre dame player looks like and i think marcus freeman's kind of really widening the scope and trying to find fits maybe in uncommon areas right like i think that that's a big thing for what where this program is going so i i do believe that I do believe that Marcus Freeman is also open because we've talked a lot about like Keon Keely after he committed. We knew that he was going to take, you know, unofficial unofficial visits to other schools. Like we knew that the visit schedule was going to kind of be intact. So I I don't think that that scared Marcus. I don't think that scares Marcus Freeman. I think that he understands that people want to go through their process. Recruits want to go through their process. But as long as you keep selling what your program is and you keep selling what brought the interest in the first place, then I don't think there's a huge threat in that regard, right? So I think what Coach Freeman's done is really opening up the scope of what a Notre Dame football player looks like and being confident in yourself. Like I don't think Notre Dame's afraid. I, th- I'll put it like this: I think past staffs were afraid to lose a player, but I don't. I think I think uh, Coach Freeman thinks of it as competition. I think he thinks of it as. I'm not going to be afraid of this battle for a player, if that right. makes sense. So I don't think he worries too much about what others are doing. I think he is focused on what his program can bring. And I don't think he's going to back, back down from any of those of those um, those competitions for great football players and great people.
1: All right. Sounds good. Well, I know, again, I know you were on for a while earlier today, and and you're obviously doing a lot of recruiting talk every day with Irish Breakdown. So, you know, like I said – hadn't had the chance to have you on yet and uh, kind of seemed like a good time with everything that's been going on with recruiting and you know some of these other questions that have been popping up during our show as well and you're the guy to answer those much more than me so I appreciate you stopping in today Ryan it's great to uh, great to talk to you great to see you glad you had a good vacation and and uh, you know like like they they were kind of giving you a hard time here in the chat you're ma- you're more than making up for it already this week jumping in and and staying busy but a lot of great information
2: well now i appreciate it sean and, and I, hey i have to make up for it man i missed the whole week of work <laughs> i know i i know you know i i, I pull an extra duty today brian i know he's down there in the chat so i'm just just putting it out there man i'm here i'm here i'm here i'm balling out here appreciate you yep. though
1: yep <laughs> all right take care ryan we'll talk to you later all right so again we kind of switch things up a little bit usually we start you know like with Vince, Jesse, Bobby, those those guys, and uh, you know, then then kind of come in and and uh, shift topics if we have a guest or what you know that kind of thing. But we thought, hey, let's start off with with Ryan with some recruiting talk today. So, what I'm going to do now though is uh, get out of some recruiting talk, and I'm going to bring Jesse in. Jesse is uh, we're, we've we've got some more Notre Dame topics coming up for you, including you know we're going to start off with a couple of would-you-rather questions, and I'll be interested to see what you think about our our would-you-rather. A couple of them related to Notre Dame. We've got some uh, Quentin Nelson, Zach Martin talk, rated the two top interior offensive linemen in the NFL or way too early Super Bowl picks. So we've got a lot of stuff coming up, so let's just bring him in right now. So we're going to do a little bit of rapid fire now with Jesse Steyer's Jumping in, how are you today?
4: I'm doing well, it's uh, the day before my vacation, so I'm yes. eager eager to get this done and get packed up and ready to catch my flight tomorrow morning.
1: What's, uh, what's the temp in uh, Phoenix right now where you're
4: headed? Uh, 112 degrees. I think cool. the average is gonna stay above 110 for the rest of the week. Uh, I already got my sweat rag packed with me. <laughs> I
1: bet, I bet. Uh, will you just live in the swimming pool down there? Is that the
4: plan? Yeah, I mean, the plan is to, to you know, we have a nice Airbnb. We're going to stay in the pool as long as possible. Um, and then when evening time comes around, we'll head out to the clubs. So
1: that's the way to go. That's the <laughs> trying way to, to go. stay
4: as cool as possible.
1: Yes. Well, good luck with all of that. Big bachelor party weekend down there in Phoenix. How many, how many other uh, guys are coming down? So there
4: will be six more, seven in total. Um, So yeah, seven of us for a bachelor party in the middle of July in in Phoenix, Arizona. I don't, I don't see anything that could go wrong.
1: No, not at all, (laughs) not at all. Will there be any golfing while you're down there?
4: No, no time for golfing. Slash, not everyone is good at golf. Yeah, Um, I think gotta get the
1: important stuff in.
4: Yeah, you know the the hanging out by the pool, having a couple pops.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right. All right, well, we've got plenty of topics to get to today. So let's just jump right in here. I've got a couple of uh, hopeful sort of brain twisters for you. I-, I like to see if I can make it hurt a little bit. With some- I've got two would you, I guess, what, a couple of would you rather questions for Notre Dame football. So let's start with this. With all this conference realignment talk and everything going on, would you rather see Notre Dame join the Big Ten full-time and be guaranteed one national championship in, say, the next 15 to 20 years, or stay independent, but you don't know if they will ever win a national championship again. Which way are you going here? Join the Big Ten. You're guaranteed a championship in the next 15 or 20 years. Stay independent. You don't know if you'll ever win one again
4: for me, it's all about guaranteeing the national championship. We all know Notre Dame hasn't won since 1988. Um, you know, that's, that in itself is 9808. that's, you know, 30, 34 years right now going on, you know, 34 years, I would take a national championship, no matter what it's, it's important to get that off your belt. Um, and if that means joining the big 10, I think that that's the obvious answer. I don't think you can go on and, you know, nothing in, Nothing in life is certain, nothing in life is guaranteed, but if you could be guaranteed a national championship in the next 15 or 20 years after not winning a championship for 34 years, I think that has to be the obvious answer.
1: I think this is the, it's kind of the ultimate test, right? For you know, like all the, you know, especially the diehard, we've got to stay independent, we're independent forever and all that. And I mean, you know, like if you, if you weigh all the factors in this, okay, you're gonna join the Big 10. Uh, if you join the Big 10, you're gonna get cut a check for around a hundred hundred million bucks a year, so automatically, you know, you're you're more than tripling your TV revenue right now. Now you don't know what the next TV contract is gonna be for Notre Dame, but as of right now, you're you're basically quadrupling it. Actually, I guess because it's around twenty five billion in total right now. So you you know you're gonna get more TV money, and you're you know you're gonna get to play Michigan more often. You're gonna get you know Ohio State. In there, you wouldn't, you don't know exactly what the schedules are gonna look like, but you, you know, you're gonna get your Penn State back on the schedule and, and stuff like that. So you're gonna have, I think a more attractive schedule for the home fans, you know, now again, you're gonna be regionalized to some extent, but I think like all these different factors, if the quote unquote consolation prize for Notre Dame fans, even the most ardent, we have gotta stay independent forever you know, alumni, fans, and everybody else, if the consolation prize is, hey, you're guaranteed a national championship because everybody talks about that's that's the goal, right? Win a national championship. I think you've got to take that trade-off. I, I still say stay independent as long as possible, but if you're guaranteed that national championship, because I think I asked the question around a year ago on my radio show, maybe, yeah, I think it was like around this time last year, You are guaranteed to win a national championship in, you know, like in the next 20 years, I think it was. And then, no, you like you win a national championship, but then you're going to go at least 20 years without winning another one. Would you take it? And it's pretty much unanimous. Everybody said yes. So you play for national championships. You know, that's that's what Notre Dame is all about. I think you've got to take that trade off. You take the trade off that you get yourself a national championship, even if it means you have to join the Big Ten.
4: Yeah, I think Notre Dame fans have made it very clear that, you know, 10, 11 win seasons isn't the ideal goal anymore. The goal is to take that next step and to win a national championship. So I would be hands in, all in uh, for anything that would get me that national championship.
1: So that was maybe easier than I thought it was going to be. Did, did that bend your brain at all? Like, did you even have to think about that one at all? Or, or did you just hey, you're guaranteed a championship. Of course, you've got to take it.
4: You know, my thought rationale is, is I think Notre Dame, we talked about this last week. I think Notre Dame's going to stay as independent as long as possible. But at the end of the day, I think they're going to end up joining the Big Ten. So that kind of took it off the table for me. And then when you throw in a national championship, I think that just about seals the deal, in my opinion. Yeah. So, I mean, it does
1: seem... It does seem fairly inevitable, just the way things are pointing right now. Uh, I think the the interesting thing, and I don't think you and I got to talk about this last week. No, we didn't. The interesting thing, there was a, a, a little uh, uh, a thing on an ESPN.com story that Notre Dame and Jack Swerbrick have an ally in Greg Sankey, the commissioner of the SEC, because sankey knows notre dame's not going to join the sec and you know different reasons for that you know one of them being big 10 has different academic standards across the board compared to the sec the payouts are roughly the same you know also now with with los angeles usc and ucla being in the big 10 notre dame becomes more national you've got the east coast schools and the west coast schools so it just makes more sense for notre dame but Greg Sankey, according to, to this thing on ESPN.com, is an ally for Jack Swarbrick and Notre Dame in terms of the independence, because in helping them maintain their path to the college football playoff, which as we know is one of the prerequisites for Notre Dame being able to keep its independence. So Greg Sankey would essentially you know, try to help Notre Dame keep its independence by keeping a path for Notre Dame to the college football playoff in the next college football playoff agreement simply because of the fact he doesn't want Notre Dame joining the Big Ten because it would help out the Big Ten too much in terms of you know their their impact and their pull by having Notre Dame and that brand in there so I found that very interesting that you know even though Notre Dame wouldn't necessarily be joining the SEC the SEC would be an ally of Notre Dame trying to help Notre Dame keep its independence and keep that path to the playoff to keep them, you know, it's kind of like, you know, just kind of like a a defensive move, I guess, you know, like keep to keep them from joining the Big Ten. I found that interesting.
4: Yeah, that's interesting and something I hadn't heard before, but obviously it boils down to the SEC wants to stay above the Big Ten at all costs. And if the right. Big Ten can acquire UCLA, USC, and Notre Dame all in one swoop, the, the SEC is going to have a hard time keeping up without making additions on their own. Yeah. So it definitely makes sense, but it all comes back to, you know, the, the main thing that we keep hitting on is that Notre Dame seems to have the leverage in all of these situations, no matter what route they want to do, no matter what route they want to go. And they have allies no matter what route they want to go. So I think those are big, important factors. I don't think at the end of the day, there's such thing as Notre Dame losing in this scenario, yes, as long I as agree. they don't wait too long on what they decide. Yeah. You know, what they want to do.
1: They've got the leverage now, but it's always like, how long do you maintain that leverage? You know, how long can you hold out? Because, you know, all it takes is, you know, so you, we don't know what the next college football playoff arrangement is going to look like, especially with the SEC and the Big Ten holding most of the cards right now. They could essentially come up with their own formula and just ramrod it down everybody else's throat and say, you know, say, like, if you don't like this, we're just going to do our own thing and you guys can go do your thing and play the JV tournament, you know, so it's going to be really interesting to see how long Notre Dame can hold on to that leverage and, and what ultimately comes out of it. Okay. So I've got another one for you. Now, if you had to pick one, which would you pick for Notre Dame? Now this is for this season. You win at Ohio state, but you lose to Clemson in November or you lose by at least two touchdowns to Ohio state to open the season, but then you turn around and you win against Clemson. So which of those two scenarios are you taking?
4: You know, this one was actually a lot tougher than the first one, in my opinion, because if you win at Ohio State but lose to Clemson, you know, I don't know if you saw it today, but Ohio State shifted from a plus 360 to a plus 20 to win the national championship. So there's a lot of things indicating that Ohio State is becoming one of the you know the the favorites to win the whole thing this year. Them yeah. and Alabama are the two kind of front runners I've seen So to me, it's kind of a catch 22, you lose, or you beat Ohio State in the first game, a much better team, and then you lose to Clemson. It's almost like you would be, you know, digressing throughout the season. But if you lose to Ohio State and beat Clemson, you're not beating as good of a team, but you're still showing some progression throughout the season. Um, You know, for me, it, it kind of plays into where I am geographically as well. I live by a lot of Ohio State fans. I live in the state of Ohio. Um, you know, this game has been on the schedule for a while now and it's, it's brought up by co-workers almost every month. It's brought up I'm by sure. friends almost every month. So for me, you know, for those reasons and kind of what I was just outlining, I think winning against Ohio State and setting the tone early in the season would be more important because of, I think, the potential that Ohio State has compared to Clemson at the end of the season. I think a win against Ohio State would give them more of a resume boost while losing to Clemson wouldn't hurt as much as long as you have that Ohio State win on your record.
1: Interesting. So I'm going to go the other way with this because, you know, even though you obviously don't want to lose a lopsided game to Ohio State to open the season, I think that, you know, especially if you build up to Clemson and you win all the rest of those games prior to Clemson, so you've only got one loss going into that Clemson game at home, you could kind of, because of the fact that Ohio State is such a heavy favorite and it's in Columbus and you've got a first time starter at quarterback and you've got a first time head coach and all the different stuff. I think a lot of things can be sort of written off in the court of public opinion and and how you are viewed, you know, like, you know, and especially if it's not just lopsided from the get go, you know, like now if it's one of these 45 to three or 45 to 10 games, maybe that's a different story. But, you know, the question was you lose by at least two touchdowns. So if you're somewhat competitive throughout most of the game and it ends up being a two touchdown or a 17 or 20-point game at the end, you know, maybe that's a little bit different story. But, again, I think if you lose that game to open the season at Ohio State with all the different new factors that you have, a new staff working together, all these different things, new quarterback, I think it can be written off to extent, as long as you take care of your business with everything after that. And then you go into the Clemson game and now you win that Clemson game. And especially if Clemson is as good as, you know, because everyone thinks that Clemson's going to be, you know, great this year, but you know, once again as well. So uh, you win that and now you're building your momentum back up again and you can kind of, you know, they always say if you're going to lose you're better off losing early on especially to a quality team just like they you know when they lost to Georgia a couple of times now granted those games were more competitive but so i would take i would still take the loss at ohio state with all those different factors and then if you beat clemson you've got a chance to you know again assuming they are you know like a no-loss team or a one-loss team themselves then you're 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 climbing back possibly into college football playoff contention, or at least you're back in New Year's six contention, you know, if, if, if that's the scenario that plays out. So I would take the loss by a couple touchdowns at Ohio State and then beat Clemson. And then basically you've got to clear the USC hurdle Thanksgiving weekend to end the season.
4: Yeah, I think, you know, both options are still ideal. You know, assuming my thought process was if, you know, that's their only loss of the season, you know, both scenarios, you're 11 and one. I just like the way that a win against Ohio State looks uh, yeah, over a win and against maybe, Clemson. I think that just outweighs it a little bit, just because of what I was saying about Ohio State having more of a national championship presence and probably yeah. going to be a better team than Clemson. So that's the only thing that decided it for me.
1: No, I mean it makes sense. It can, you know, because if you look at that on the other side, especially if you lose, you know, if you beat Ohio State, that's a huge feather in your cap as heavily favored as they are and all those factors that we just talked talked about and then you know as long as you don't lay a complete egg against Clemson and that's a competitive you know it is going to be a home game so you'd be losing a home game in that instance but you know you lose that game you know to again what's at least thought of going into the season against a good Clemson team then, you know, maybe that win against Ohio State helps offset that. And then, you know, again, you've still got to clear the USC hurdle. But then you need, I think, more factors, you know, like the, you know, all the style points and all that kind of stuff are going to come. That's probably going to happen, you know, in, in either of those scenarios because you've got one loss on your resume. But yeah, I think, but I've always, I've always kind of, you know, like this, this game against Ohio State is you know, like this is before you were born. You know, back in the late 80s and early 90s, it was it was Notre Dame and Michigan playing each other to open up the season. There was no warm-up act, you know, before that, and it pretty much, like, the outcome of that game determined how your season was going to go. The winner was going to be a national championship contender. The loser was pretty much done, and that's that's kind of, you know, what, what this sort of sets up to be a little bit with this game at Ohio State and, you know, and then next year, of course, you know, it won't be to open up the season. But still, it's, you know, that's that's kind of what it's setting up to be. You've got two, you know, one, what we know is going to be a really good team, to, you know, against a, a Notre Dame team that I, I think, you know, more people following Notre Dame think is going to be a pretty good team. But, you know, there's more questions, I think, from the outside. There were questions last year, too. But it's going to be a real tone setter. I think there's no denying that going into to this season, Marcus Freeman's first full season. Okay, now I've got another one. Quentin Nelson is the number one rated NFL interior lineman, according to ESPN. Zach Martin is the number two rated interior offensive lineman in the NFL. So you played linebacker in high school and college. So when you look at these two guys, compare and contrast the skill sets of these two for, you know, Two former Notre Dame offensive linemen, and like how you would go about trying to to go up against these guys, you know, if you had to go up against them,
4: you know, in a in a comparison and contrast, I think I'll start with a comparison first. I think both of these guys, how they're so similar in their game is they're very very uh, quick twitch guys. They have good, you know, first initial punch. They know how to get to the second level well. Um, and I really think that their, their strength and their quickness overall kind of helps them for how big they are, especially a guy like Quentin Nelson. He's, you know, he's, a, he's a large guy, but he also can, he can get moving a little bit. So in the comparison aspect, that's how they kind of um, are the same. But what makes it hard as for, for someone like myself we played linebacker is usually when in, in your pre-snap reads, you're reading a triangle of uh, guard, tackle, and the running back in the backfield. And so when you have to be accountable for a center at the same time, a center who can pull, uh, you know, either way or fold in kind of either way, it makes things a lot harder. So I think that uh, Quentin Nelson's skill set or Quentin Nelson's uh, impact is a little bit higher than Zach Martin's because of the, just because he, you know, there's only one center and there's two guards. And like I was saying, when you're, when you're reading as a linebacker, you have a triangle, what I, like I said, a triangle where you're looking at guard, uh, tackle in the backfield and so when you have to put a fourth thing into your triangle you know again you're going against a team that has a a center who's you know quick enough to pull or you know can do those sorts of things it makes it makes it a lot harder and especially you know on, on a scheme going down the line uh, maybe it's an outside zone that that's that center is going to try to reach up to you and get up to you uh at a, at a quick level so I think that going against a guy like Quentin Nelson is a little bit harder than a guy like Zach Martin but that's you know we're talking about two all pro, future probably Hall of Famers here. So it's, you know, you're kind of picking needles at this point of, you know, the the, the differences between each two, but just because, like I was saying, Nelson plays center, uh, it, it makes him a little bit more of a commodity and more that you have to worry about based on the skill set that he can provide in the run game.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's like pick your poison, you know. Quentin Nelson, I think, is you know, he's a little bit bigger, a little bit more physical, just like he he gets you know, like the highlights with the pancakes and all that stuff, whereas Zach Martin is more sort of the technician kind of guy out there. But, I mean, you are essentially, it's like, it's 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 pretty crazy. Now, when you think about the fact that the two best interior linemen, really since Zach Martin has been in the NFL since, what, 2014, you've got the two best interior linemen both coming from the same college and both from that Harry stand tree, you know, as well.
4: And now Heastan is back, which yeah, makes it exactly even more right. exciting. That's and, exactly they keep, right. and they keep bringing in these, you know, just as highly touted recruits on the offensive line. So, you know, it's almost like maybe you'd hope to see that formula start chugging through again of Harry Heastan, you know, performing, Thinking developing guys, and you know, the output be them having success in the NFL at a high yeah. level.
1: Exactly. And I think we will. I think we're going to see that for sure okay so as we do this show today super bowl exactly seven months from today february 12th 2023 so what's your way too early super bowl pick it's going to be this team against that team who are you picking right now seven months before the super bowl and well before training camps even get started
4: uh my way too early super bowl pick right now is the bills versus the rams um, I like what the bills did last year in the playoffs. I think Josh Allen is a top, you know, you could almost say top three quarterback in the NFL. um you know, he had it. obviously we all know that game against the chiefs., uh, you know, you know how I feel about an offense not getting a possession in overtime, especially when we're talking about you know <laughs> they the, AFC the role champ- for you. They changed the rule for you, you again especially when we're talking about the AFC championship. So I think and I, I really like the way that defense looks for Buffalo. Um, They kind of went through some injuries towards the end of the last season in their secondary, which I think hurt them a little bit. Um, But if they can stay healthy and kind of put together what they did last year, I really like uh, the bills to kind of break through. You know, Josh Allen is just getting better and better and better every year. And it's unfortunate that, you know, you have a guy like Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady in the league, because you kind of get overshadowed when you're a guy like Josh Allen. But I think he's an elite quarterback. I like the way he plays. Um, And the thing about the Rams is, you know, they really just didn't have a lot of turnover from that Super Bowl roster last year. And I think that we will see a lot of the same things for them uh, coming into this season as well. I think they needed to, you know, maybe be a little bit more sound defensive defensively. Um, But overall, I I like the way that they look uh, going in going into this season as well.
1: Hard to repeat. Hard to repeat. You know, it's we haven't seen it done very often. And we talked about it last year with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You know, they, they wanted to run it back, and Tom Brady got all those guys to come back. And Tom Brady looked like he was going to retire, and now he's back himself this year after they didn't quite make that run last year. So I'm going to say Tom Brady, a little bit more gas in the tank, get all those guys healthy. He's still got some of the best receiving options out there. He'll lose Gronk, but Gronk was hurt, you know quite a bit anyway, even in his return to Tampa Bay. So I'm going to say Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, new head coach, Byron Leftwich, to the Super Bowl, and the opponent will be none other than Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots. That's what it's going to be. We're going to get Brady versus Belichick one more time and that will be tom brady's final game he will beat bill belichick in the super bowl he will ride off into the sunset and then he will turn around and he will walk into the fox booth and start calling games for fox next year so that's that's my super bowl pick bucks patriots belichick brady they will navigate the the patriots with Mac Jones, second year start. I know a lot of people are, are down on Mac Jones after last year. Let's not forget this was a rookie quarterback, and they went, what, 10 and 7? 10 and 7? 10 and 6. No. Yeah, 10 and 7. The extra game. I was trying to figure out the math in my head there real quick. 17 games. Yeah, 10 and 7 last year. Rookie quarterback. Belichick got the guy he wanted. That's that's my Super Bowl man. I'm not as sold. On Josh Allen and the Bills, as you like, I think Josh Allen is a great quarterback and all that. I'm just not sure that that's a team that can really get over the hump, especially just with as tough as the AFC is to try to navigate, as we saw, you know, last year with with Cincinnati and all that. So I, I think that uh, the AFC is really tough. Bill Belichick has been through the, through those waters before, so that's my Super Bowl, my way too early Super Bowl pick.
4: Yeah, I think what a lot of people don't realize about, you know, Mac Jones is he had a great season as a rookie quarterback, and they didn't even fully open the reins and the offense yeah. to him uh, quite yet. So to have another year with the playbook and to go through, you know, another round of OTAs and camp and all that, it's just going to make his game a little bit better. And, and, you know, I don't know if you've seen pictures of Mac Jones recently. Uh, you know, everyone likes to make fun of him for how he looked coming out of the draft. But right. I saw a picture of him a couple of weeks ago on Instagram or something. And he's looking pretty cut up i think he's taking it seriously his off-season training so i could i could definitely see uh mac jones you know having i you know an even better year than last year um and having you know we we all know that the patriots are going to have a good defensive team uh so I, i wouldn't be surprised to see the patriots deep in the afc and potentially in the super bowl okay all right
1: fill in the blank You're in Cleveland after Baker Mayfield's trade from the Browns to the Panthers. His time in Cleveland should be remembered as blank.
4: His time in Cleveland should be remembered as a bright spot. You know, everyone, it's so weird living in this area right now because you have half the people who are like, oh, good riddance. I'm glad that Baker's gone. And then you have the more rational people who are like, hey, we haven't had a good quarterback in, you know, at least 20 years. We get Baker Mayfield. He helps us to our first playoff win in X amount of years. Uh, he beats our arch rival Pittsburgh on their home stadium in the playoffs. Right. Um, and it, I think it was just unfortunate. I think Baker got the best of Baker last season because he wanted to play with some pretty significant injuries. I think if yep. he, I think if he tells you know tells everyone kind of the injuries he's having and doesn't try to push it, I think he'd be in a lot different spot right now. I don't think we'd be talking about the same sort of situation. Um, but he really wanted to, you know, I, I don't, I admire his competitiveness and I think that's something else that was taken for granted is that he's a competitor. He's a grinder. He shows up to every game. And, you know, that was evident by, like I was saying him playing through uh, some pretty significant injuries last year, but it really blows my mind that, you know, for a franchise such as Cleveland who had a beer locker in Cleveland be- <laughs> until they got their first win, you know, now he, they get a playoff win and now they're just ready to kick him out the door. And that's, it's very interesting to me. Like I, I forgot said, about that. the beer
1: locker. I forgot about that. Like you showed up and you got like you got like free beer for showing up, basically, right? Something like right. That. You
4: had beers all. You know these beer fridges all around Cleveland that were locked up until they got their first win. Yeah. They, and then they win, and you know they, now they're open, and everyone gets free beers and all that situation. So, like I said, it's just so interesting to me that these as soon as a guy leaves or has one bad year they're just ready to kick him out. But he, he won a playoff game against one of their biggest rivals on it's their like, home
1: stadium. Do you not remember how just awful they were for a couple decades and right. they were what one in 30, the the two years before they went to the playoffs and then they go to the playoffs. And as you said, they didn't just go to the playoffs. They beat their biggest rival in a playoff game. And it's all like, all of this is just swept under the rug. Nobody remembers any of that because then the expectations are set up high last year coming off of that playoff season. And, you know, like you said, he tried to play through injury. And I do, I I think that he was probably his own, excuse me, worst enemy. If he had just put himself on the shelf and had the shoulder surgery, you know, I, I, maybe he's still a Cleveland Brown right now because then you don't have all that inconsistent play that came with him you know trying to play with the injury he tried to do too much and that's because he can be his own worst enemy in that case as well you know when they had some injuries they lost you know he never really did that much with obj anyway but then they don't have him they've got some injuries tried to play too much hero ball and you know and it just everything spiraled and it made it all worse but you know his time in Cleveland should be remembered as a time that they won a freaking playoff game after just being awful forever and he was a big reason why they won a playoff game. So I'm I'm really surprised that you know a, a lot of the the Baker Mayfield hate, you know, I get it. He's polarizing, he's very opinionated, he's not going to be afraid to tell you that he's opinionated and he's passionate and all that stuff so that can rub people the wrong way, but guy still did something that nobody else had done in cleveland in a long time getting to the playoffs and winning a playoff game so you got to give him that
4: yeah and you know they almost won a second playoff game that game against the chiefs and you know came right down to the wire they almost beat one of the best teams in the nfl and yep i think a big side story that i'm really looking forward to is um baker mayfield is obviously now in carolina sam darnold is now in carolina that's like Colin Cowherd's favorite quarterback in the NFL and least favorite quarterback in the NFL. And so Baker Mayfield can beat out Sam Darnold. I just can't wait to hear uh, some of the takes that that, uh, our boy Colin Cowherd might have.
1: Yeah, that's true too. That's very true. All right, fill in the blank on this next one. It's blank that NFL commissioner Roger Goodell says NFL Sunday ticket will most likely leave DirecTV next year and end up with a streaming service.
4: You know, this one was actually pretty tough for me. I I think it's surprising that the NFL commissioner, Roger Goodell, is, uh, you know, potentially going to pull the the Sunday ticket from DirecTV and kind of make it its own standalone service. But at the end of the day, I'm I'm excited because, you know, you and I both have been Sunday ticket holders, and we we don't really like the way that, you know, DirecTV handles the Sunday ticket. So maybe a lot of these inconveniences and kind of errors that we see Uh, can be fixed. And, you know, maybe the price will come down a little bit. I, you know, I doubt that that's the case. Maybe. Um, But it's very interesting to me that, but I guess I'm, I'm not surprised at the end of the day because of what the NFL has done over the last few years and all the different platforms that they've kind of been going to. You have, you know, games on Amazon, you have games on NBC, CBS, the NFL Network. There's so many different ways in which you can watch these games. I guess I'm not surprised that they're creating another avenue that's potentially going to create uh, revenue for them. I just hope that the Sunday ticket uh, enhances or gets better uh, by by Roger Goodell doing this. I think that's the thing I'm most hopeful for.
1: Here's, Here's the thing, a couple things on going exclusively to streaming, and you've watched more games on streaming than I have. But the one that I'm less concerned about, but the one that, you know, like a lot of people go to their wing establishments or, you know, their bars, their sports bars, and they're watching games on Sunday and they're able to watch all the games because the establishments have the Sunday ticket. You know, they're set up with the rec TV and all that. Are they going to be set up with streaming? You know, like, how is that going to work? That's how they get all these bars and stuff set up for the streaming. Uh, And then, two, you know, along with that, the, the lag in streaming, you know, like that's something that we saw firsthand with the game that was on Peacock last season, the Notre Dame football game, there is a lag, you know, and with buffering and stuff like that, that lag can be anywhere from 10 or 15 seconds, even up to 30 seconds and a minute, you know, depending on what kind of internet service you have and all that kind of stuff. So that's, you know, like, between the live sports betting and just Twitter, you know, you're following your your people at the game who are on Twitter and stuff like that. You know, there were there were like spoilers that were coming out you know on that streaming Notre Dame game. So like that's that's a big question to me if it's exclusively on streaming like how all that stuff kind of gets rectified with so many fans dependent on that between the betting and the you know following on Twitter and all those different things.
4: Yeah, I mean, there's nothing worse than, uh, you know, I'm, I'm guilty of this. There's nothing worse than, be, you know, you're, you're on your phone. You're, you're seeing, you know, your favorite kind of sports writers and stuff talking about the game as you're watching the game. And sometimes, like you were saying, you can be behind and they're tweeting about some crazy big touchdown that just happened. And, you know, you're 10 seconds behind. So it's definitely uh, a potential issue. But I guess we'll kind of have to see, you know, yeah. with everything, you kind of have to wait and see. Uh, you know, maybe maybe the first couple of weeks are, you know, more of like the testing out uh, phase of things. Or maybe they test it out during some preseason games. Um, but as long as long as the, the product is better, that's really all I, I would be looking forward to. Because I think that, you know, there's so many different issues that we've run into with having the, the pass on DirecTV. And I, I was saying that, you know, it's bad because at the end of the day we get to watch the games and everything. But I just hope that if they make this move that the product doesn't uh, regress. Well, and the other thing is like, are
1: you going to be able to watch the, you know, will they archive all these games, you know, for at least like a day or two? Cause like, you know, like right now, there are a lot of times where something comes up on Sunday. So it's like, okay, the Cowboys are on at one o'clock or four 30 or whatever, I'll record the game and then I can go back and I can obviously just watch it later, you know, just like you can with the Notre Dame game or any other game that's on live TV, you can do that. So that's, that's probably the biggest question, you know, out of all of it for me is, will you have the ability to, you know, to either record or, you know, go back and watch it, you know, either after the game starts, you know, can you watch it from the beginning? You're know, you probably not going to be able to fast forward through commercials because, you know, the streaming services manage to, you know, kind of keep their own commercials in the game. You can't forward through stuff. So that's, that's a big one. That's, that's probably the biggest one for me, you, you know, just your ability to not necessarily have to watch the game live. Can you still go back and watch it either after the game starts or, you know, after the game, you know, cause I, I can watch a game, I can watch a three to three and a half hour game in a little bit more than an hour. You know, I can, you know, you can power through the commercials and all that stuff. That's a real time saver after the fact. I don't know that we're going to be able to do that if it's on exclusively a streaming service. All right, final thing for tonight. We talked a little bit about this yesterday. It became official today. Notre Dame really got out there and uh, made this announcement quickly with Sean Stifler uh, from Virginia Commonwealth. He's officially today named Notre Dame's head baseball coach, of course, replaces Link Jarrett, who's down at Florida State now stifler the head coach at virginia commonwealth for 11 years he won 352 games 206 losses dominant in the atlantic 10 144 and 71 three ncaa tournament appearances including the last two years where they were really good 32 and 8 in the a10 over the last two seasons so what do you think of this hire sean stifler jesse
4: well basically looking at his credentials and kind of looking at you know where link Jarrett came from I think that these are very kind of similar situations if we're being honest yeah. uh, I really like the credentials that he has I you know I I can't remember the exact amount of tournament appearances and and the you know the, the conference championships that he had but I know when I read them that they were impressive numbers and like I said that it just reminds me a lot of maybe like a, a young a little bit younger link Jarrett and I think that Notre Dame is trying to follow know kind of this this path that they that they found for success with link and it was unfortunate that link had to you know depart after three years but it almost became of okay what what kind of if we took a cookie cutter of who link was who best fits that kind of image and i think that stifler honestly kind of fills fills the, the the majority of that cookie cutter uh that role and i'm very excited to see you know where where they they go going forward um unfortunately for him you know, Notre Dame had a lot of turnover with transfer portal and graduates and stuff. And so I think that as fans, we can't really, you know, be expecting a whole lot out of his first season because he's got so much turnover uh, based well, on the things that I just kind of said. And, you know, where
1: he's taking over
4: now, you know, there are a lot of guys in the transfer
1: portal right now. I think I've heard there are like 2,400 or something like that in the portal. So there's still a lot of players out there. And so it's good. I think it's probably, you know, maybe they kind of push this higher through a little bit quicker than usual, you know, because like, it's interesting that they were three years to the day Stifler announced July 12th, 2022 as the head coach link. Jarrett was announced July 12th, three years ago, but like we knew a couple weeks before Jarrett was going to be, you know, announced as the head coach that he was, going to get the job but they went through that long vetting process that you typically have at Notre Dame that was triggered by George O'Leary several years back you know like make sure you've got all your you know your I's dotted and your T's crossed and all that stuff and make sure there are no, no discrepancies but yeah he's got to rebuild a roster so he's going to have to jump into the transfer portal because you know we know that as of right now Notre Dame's potentially losing especially guys from the pitching staff to the transfer portal. I, you know, like you, I think it's a good hire. I I, I like the way with these last two hires, they've gone to successful coaches from the South where, you know, which is where the sport is dominated to mid major successful coaches from the South. This guy has actually had more NCAA tournament success than even Lincoln Jarrett had at Greensboro before he came in. So, I, you know, I like this hire. He's got a pitching background, so that's good as well. But he's going to have to jump into that portal quick. You know, that's how Link Jarrett, obviously, part of how he got this thing built back up so quickly was by jumping in to that portal himself, getting guys like John Michael Bertrand and some of these guys. And, and uh, you know, so that's what Stifler is probably going to have to do now with, with as much roster turnover as they've got, especially if you end up losing Finley and Rayo. the transfer you know and a couple of these other guys to the transfer portal and along those lines what do you think you know with like finley rayo these guys chuck ristano is and rich wallace they're going to join link jarrett's staff down there at florida state will you think of Jarrett? you know because there's a lot of you know real shine on link jarrett for what he did super regional last year college world series this year you know in just two years ultra successful Will you think of him any differently if he essentially raids the Notre Dame roster and brings all these guys down south to Florida State to join him down there?
4: You know, I don't necessarily think of it as raiding the roster. I think the most surprising thing is the fact that restano is leaving Notre Dame to go down there with him. I think that's the one that I, you know, not that it hurts a lot, but I understand especially in today's age and or in today's game, you know, no, no matter the sport uh, at the college level with the, the new transfer portal rules, you know, these are, especially a guy like Finley, you know, he's a freshman and, and Link is the guy that recruited him and got him that came to Notre Dame. And Very so true. to me, I don't, I don't have a problem with following the coach that kind of recruited you well, and, you know, taking kind of following him down there, especially because he's so young. Um, you know, if he's going through and poaching out the entire roster one by one, like, Hey, you want to come to Florida state, Hey, you want to come to Florida state, you know, that's kind of where I have an issue. But when we're talking about some of these younger guys, um, I don't necessarily see there being an issue because of what I was just talking about. You know, they're, they're fresh yeah. recruits. They were sold on coming to Notre Dame because of link Jarrett and what he was going to be able to do for them with individual and team success. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where I stand with it. You know, like I said, if we're talking guys who have maybe their junior or senior year and they're, you know, they're just about done. I think that's where I would kind of draw the line of having an issue, uh, with some of that.
1: Yeah. And I I guess the question I would ask myself though, or that, you know, that I have asked myself and maybe you should ask yourself and I, and I get it, you know, all the things that you're talking about and, you know, he still did do a great job here and it, it just stinks that, the strength of this team is pitching and now, you know, three of their, definitely three of their best guys, if if not even four with another freshman in there in the, in the portal, you know, could could all, you know, we don't know that they're all going to end up at Florida State, but when the entire Notre Dame staff is going to Florida State, including the pitching coach who made them as successful as they were. And then, as you said, just the fact that that Jarrett and, and these guys recruited him, up here you know it, it it definitely would stink and you're in the same conference Stink to see him go down there but what if this was brian kelly you know like when he went to lsu like would you still have sort of the same <laughs> i guess feel for this if brian kelly had you know like hey chris tyree you know come down here with me to florida state jd bertrand come down here with me to florida state you know and pluck like some front front line guys you know because like he got george takas and you know takas was a depth piece here at notre dame i think he's going to have more of an opportunity down there at lsu but you know like if brian kelly had done the same thing would you feel the same way i guess you know and we no, don't I, know that, I, we don't know that again we don't know for sure that this is going to happen at florida state i'm just
4: saying if but go ahead I think this is kind of comes down to the way that both of these coaches kind of departed the program. You know, Brian Kelly kind of snuck off in the middle of the night and had a, a, you know, a very quick meeting with his team and and just said, you know, I'm kind of out of here. And I thought Link kind of handled the thing, handled his situation more professionally and more with more integrity. Uh, You know, he sat down with his players and really thanked them and said, you know, I would, this wouldn't be possible without you guys and my success here is ultimately, you know, what got me this next position at Florida state. So I think him going out and saying, thank you. And, you know, saying that you guys are the reason why I was able to have this opportunity. Unlike Brian Kelly, who's kind of more of a selfish manner of, you know, when when he wins, he wants all the credit, but when he loses, he wants to blame everyone else. Uh-huh. I think that's a large factor in this situation of points. I think that, yeah, I would be a little bit more upset with Brian Kelly because of the things that I just kind of, you know, outlined. I just think that Link was uh, a man of his integrity. You know, the fact more that. genuine. Yeah, he, he went through the College World series, you know, whether this is true or not, he told, you know, everyone, I'm not going to, I'm going to wait to see how this goes because I owe it to this team and everything that we've worked for before yeah. we talk about anything else. So I I just don't think I would have felt the same way with Brian Kelly, but I also think that link as a man and integrity is at a different level than Brian Kelly. So
1: all excellent points. (laughs) We will just end it on that. Great points. Great rebuttal. We will finish with that. Jess, enjoy your trip to uh, Arizona. Be safe down there and don't come back too sunburned when it's all. I was going to say, everyone
4: take a picture of me now. And then when I get back next week, (laughs) let's see how disheveled I look. That's right. Compared to now I might be recovering still, but. I appreciate you having me and uh, i i enjoyed all the topics today
1: yep good stuff good stuff today from you as well all right so we'll wrap it up with that ivy nation sports talk jesse styers checking out and uh we've got a couple more shows coming up this week vince will be back tomorrow bobby hensley back in the house on thursday as well don't forget like us subscribe to us on youtube follow us comment rate on uh, all the auto audio podcast platforms as well. We will talk to you, Man on IB Nation Sports Talk. Great to have you here today.